0: one two three okay, perfect okay so uh, I'm gonna do another one of my back in history um, so this is taken from the te- or the pamphlet on um, the management of emergencies from 1966 so the state of art care in more over 60 years ago so here's the uh, story. I, would, I thought we'd do GI bleed. Okay. So back in 1966, uh, it was crazy. Up to 50% mortality from upper GI bleed. I think we see upper GI bleeds all the time right now, and you know half of them do not end up dying. So it was actually a pretty terrible disease uh, back then. Um, keep in mind they did not have uh, H2 blockers. Tagamet kind of was the first uh, H2 blocker that came out, and I think maybe like 19 what was that 80ish some has been around for a while and then they didn't have proton pump inhibitors and I'll actually come back to this because this kind of circles around nicely um, 20% of the cases were unrecognized so you think about like how many people we admit it's not that hard to diagnose a GI bleed I mean if they have blood in the stool or low crit then it's kind of a relatively easy diagnosis but for whatever reason they missed 20% of them so their management was they said okay it's either going to be uh, peptic ulcer disease or it's going to be variceal bleed that was sort of their algorithm for treatment and they said the first thing you need to do is check for liver disease well how do we check for liver disease <laughs> yeah blood work like ast alt bilirubin maybe ammonia level they did this crazy thing called the bromo excretion test has anyone even ever heard of that So this is crazy, you inject bromosulfalin, and it's like five uh, milligrams per kilogram, and then you do a blood draw like uh, 10 or 20 minutes later and you see how much of this has been filtered out by the liver, it's a measure of liver function. Now the crazy thing with it, I mean, (laughs) is if you're having a GI bleed, it doesn't really work anyway. So the test that they were using was a useless test, and it seems like kind of crazy. The other thing they used to do is a splenoportogram. And so if you can imagine this, you take a long needle and just sort of aim for the spleen they didn't have like ultrasound guidance wasn't a thing then um, and then you would inject contrast dye into the spleen and they said if you had an enthusiastic radiologist they could sh- they could review the films for you so the one you were hoping to have an enthusiastic radiologist and 2 you're sticking a needle into the spleen of someone who's probably um and probably has an enlarged spleen anyway and then what you did is when you look at the images and And then you'd hook that up to a manometer and measure the pressure in the spleen. And they said, if it's greater than 300, you're going to have liver disease and probably have variceal bleeds. If it's under 250, it's not going to be variceal bleeding. So you'd stick a big needle into an organ that easily bleeds in a person who's already bleeding and then do crazy things like inject dye and then measure pressures. And they said, oh, they're just starting to do endoscopy. So I was thinking, oh, that's kind of cool for 1966. But it's not like the flexible endoscopes that we think of. It was a rigid scope. So if you can imagine, okay, you know when you watch those shows like America's Got Talent and some guy has like a sword (laughs) (laughs) he swallows? So it's a rigid bronchoscope, like this straight pipe that you'd stick down the esophagus and uh, hope to see something. So that was the -the state-of-the-art. And then you'd place a leaven tube. 11 tube is essentially an NG tube, and then do ice saline irrigation. Um, so, that I mean, I remember us irrigating people with saline until clear, and that's kind of witchcraft, it doesn't really do anything. The other thing you want to do is administer fresh blood, because if the blood was sitting around for a while, it didn't have as much of the active factors. Um, so they did recognize that blood kind of goes bad after a while. They'd give everyone neomycin. Um, I'm not exactly sure why. Um, and then the other mainstay of therapy was surgery. So um, you, ba- you basically have to go in, and if someone had a bleeding ulcer, there's a high rate of perforation, so they'd actually do surgery for upper GI bleeds. That was sort of the state of the art. The other terrifying thing they did was a Blakemore tube. So I remember Blakemore tubes. Has anyone ever seen a Blakemore tube? So this crazy tube, it's, um, imagine a Foley. So you'd stick like a long Foley down in the esophagus into the stomach. There's a distal balloon. You'd blow that up and then tug on it and get that balloon right in the upper aspect of the stomach. Then there'd be a second balloon that would be in the esophagus and that would inflate and tamponade sort of the varices. So it's, a super barbaric procedure and you risk like tearing the esophagus um, it doesn't really work very well and they leave it in for like two days so that was sort of the state-of-the-art back then um, they didn't have h2 blockers or PPIs, so they gave antacids every one hour through the tube and it would just be plain old calcium carbonate alternating with milk so you use what you could use, I guess. And um, thankfully, the the person who wrote this article said he was there's pleas for control trials because they actually recognized that none of this stuff had ever been proven. It was just sort of what they did to try and help people. Um, so basically from 1966, I don't think we do any of these things anymore. The interesting thing that, you know, sort of the the theme of these lectures going back like 60 years is some of the stuff comes back some of its witchcraft some of it will never do again um, when you look at PPIs, so that's kind of our state of the art right now, we give everyone Protonix. Um, there's a really good website called NNT, the number needed to treat. So they looked at PPIs, sort of our current standard of care. So they combined all the studies, I think there's 1,500 patients, and they said, does it do anything for mortality, rebleeding, or need for surgical intervention? And the answer for uh, PPIs, it does not make any difference. So when we give this, when someone else does this lecture in 50 years, they'll say, back in 2016 they gave PPIs can you believe that so anyway that's my uh, (laughs) talk